millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You are listening to Diaries of an F1 Boss on Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by the Formula One 2018 game. Yeah, that's right. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two-Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Ah, uh, it's going great. You know, nothing is better than a midweek show. Really? Nothing? What about water slides? Okay, you might have a point there. Your lack of appreciation of water slides confuses and angers me. So let's bring on Matthew Carter, former Lotus F1 team boss. How's it going, Matthew? Very good, very good. How are you? Really good. How are you finding this season so far? Uh, We have made several plans to get you on during the course of the season. It's not quite married up, so loads to talk about. Uh, As a fan, are you enjoying it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's... uh unpredictable as much as it can be unpredictable in this in this current regime and uh, yeah i think it's good it's been pretty chaotic you're obviously not listening to fernando alonso it's entirely predictable we know exactly who's going to win in spa and monza not so sure about that but anyway (laughs) that's not sure that's his reasoning but anyway that sounds like a topic and people will be sick to death of the fact that me matt and chris rainbow sparkle stevens argued about that for about 20 minutes of sunday's show so let's explore a little bit of the current Dirty News. Now, I'm being nice to you, Matthew Carter. You've done a lot for this show. You've been great. We've loved having you here. I'm a little mad. You know why. I'm a little mad at you for not buying Force India, renaming it Force Mist Apex, having a red and white livery, and putting Bradley Philpot in as the number one driver. No, I'm not quite at that level. Not quite at the Lawrence Stroll level of, uh, of wealth, unfortunately. Why couldn't you have like... And to be fair, even if I was, I'm not sure that I would have bought Force India. But why couldn't you have like formed a conglomerate or something? A Carter-led... Consortium. Consortium is go. the word you're looking for. See, you um, know, you've got no excuse. 
I don't know. I mean, it's the the whole what Force India went through. Obviously, was very very similar to what we went through at Lotus um, towards the end, and it is it's a messy situation. I'm pleased that they managed to get someone to buy it, um, but it did raise a lot of interesting issues and a lot of interesting questions. That um, I mean, it, he obviously the, the the way he the way they did it in the end, buying it for administration, whether or not. Um, you believe that was the right or the wrong way to do it. He's ended up getting a fairly good deal, I would have thought, if it was his intention to buy a Formula One team. Actually, uh, Ray Parker in the chat room saying it should be a Carter cartel. Yeah, that seems obvious. I don't know why I didn't think of that. Well, uh, roll back a little bit. When you say it's similar mm-hmm. to what you went through at Lotus, in, in what way for the uninformed? So so what happened during or, or just prior to Silverstone was that they actually were in the High Court in London um, facing a winding up petition from um, HMRC which is exactly what happened to Lotus. So exactly that, that, that chain of events happened to Lotus. Uh, it was in and around the Singapore Grand Prix of 2015. The slight difference that we had was that we had, Renault had been lined up to buy the team from, it was all over the press, from maybe three or four months before that. So the current owners at the time had stopped funding the team, believing that Renault were going to fund the team. So that's why we ended up where we were. So when we sat in front of the judge in the high court, or I sat there in front of the judge in the high court, we basically produced a letter from Renault to say they were about to purchase the team. And that stopped us from going into administration. The slight difference with Force India is that they actually did go into administration. So they didn't produce a letter from the consortium, cartel, whatever you want to call it. Um, at that stage, they produced um, information from, as, as I think everyone knows, from Sergio Perez and Mercedes-Benz to say that they were the biggest creditors and that they believed the best way forward was to go into administration. So that, just for people that don't know, is effectively just protects the company from being closed down by one of the creditors. So it gives you a little bit of time to find a buyer, which was obviously lined up in the background, I would say, because very quickly afterwards, they came through and announced that they'd bought it. So could legally have the creditors, Perez and Mercedes said, actually, do you know what? We're not on good terms. I'm a bit fed up. I demand my money now, therefore sell your factory. They could have done. Um, the reality is if they'd have done that, they wouldn't have got all their money. And what is, what's interesting with the way that Formula One teams run and what's slightly different from any normal business is that the biggest uh, asset that a Formula One team has really is their entry into the championship. Uh-huh. And that entry into the championship is linked to the limited company. Um, and there's a rule which is one that's interesting, and I don't know how deep you want to go into this. There okay. is a rule within the rules, and there's a there's a line sorry within the rules and regulations that says that if a company suffers, and I think the way it's written is any form of insolvent an insolvency act, any form of insolvency act, then they're automatically banished from the from the sport. Now at Lotus, we never went into administration. Yes, we had a winding up order issued against us by HMRC, which you could say proves that the company is insolvent because the, 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 the term of insolvency means that you're not able to pay your debts as and when they fall due. So we managed to get around it by saying that Renault were there in the background yep. and that they were going to purchase it. And we didn't go into administration. Force India actually went into administration. So I think it's tricky to argue that they weren't in some form of insolvency. Um, but that's, that's, how it, that's how it's happened. With a winding up order, though, wouldn't there be a judgment if you were truly found insolvent? It's not the yeah. act of showing up. It's the act of being adjudged in that state. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So a petition is so a petition is is brought against you as the company, and that petition says that we at HMRC are owed. Honestly, can't remember. It was it was in the millions when we were at Lotus. Let's say they're owed five million, 
Um, so they go in front of a judge and they say that we at HMRC are owed five million. We don't believe we're going to get it. So we would like you to wind this company up. And as we talked about just now and, and dissolve its assets. Now, the unfortunate thing is the biggest asset, as I just said, is the entry into Formula One. You're not going to get any money for that because if the company goes into insolvency, then that just falls away with it. So then you've got what uh, what are the car parts really worth? What's a prototype car that's built and changed every year? What's it really worth with no engine? Because the engine belonged to Mercedes-Benz at the time or it belongs to Renault or whoever. So there's no engine. So you've got a rolling chassis um, and a load of bespoke tooling and parts that really can't be used for anything other than formula one yeah but with grosjean chassis every dent tells a story that's got to be worth something <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but <laughs> go on carry on no i was gonna say I, th- I think i think what happened and this is this is where it does get slightly interesting if if rumors are to be believed stroll paid x tens of millions of dollars for for lance to drive at williams um and that was just a one-off this is what he's paid for him to drive if rumours are to be believed, and what I understand is that Force India are in debt to the tune of about 43 million sterling. So basically, you walk in as the as the angel, the saviour, and as long as you pay all those creditors in full, then you take control of the team. So he's effectively bought a whole team for maybe double what it cost him to put Lance in the in the seat for one year. So looking at it like that, it's a fairly good it's a fairly good decision. Um, he's in theory buying a faster car. Um, although that's proved to be seen once Lance actually gets in the seat. Um, <laughs> but he's also taken on the liabilities. He's also taken on 400 people. He's taken on all those liabilities that are then weighed off against the fact that he's getting a cut of the TV revenues and a cut of the, the prize money, depending on where Force India finish next year. Well, Force India always seemed to have been good as a team about working within a very limited budget. So in that sense, it seems like a, a steal for him, but this is not the first time we've seen teams change hands this way. And I'm wondering, it just seems like it's almost an advantage to let a team wander into administration. If you wanted to buy into the sport, your best bet really is to wait for a team that's in the shape Force India's in, then actually not do a deal till after uh, or till they're about to go get their winding up order and then bring them into administration and buy them that way because you're, you're you're paying pennies on the dollar pound euro international currency unit for the asset well you're, you're paying pennies you have to pay the creditors in full otherwise you wouldn't be allowed to stay in this in the sport so you have to pay one for one on that yes you're getting technically you're getting the asset at less because it's not really usable for anything else but then as we saw with Manor at the end, there was nobody stepping forward to to buy that. And I think it then comes down to, I, I don't think you would buy a Formula One team to earn money. So yes, if you are Papa Stroll, as you like to call him, and you want to put your son in a, in a, in a, in a faster car, and you've got all the money that uh, in the world, then it's maybe a decision to do for those purposes. But I don't think it's a it's a business savvy way to make money or to or to or to suddenly turn yourself from a millionaire into a billionaire or whatever it's um i think you need an ulterior motive to do it uh, and i think that's why people didn't step forward at manor um and that's why i'd be interested i know people have said there were other people interested in force india but i'm not so sure i mean it's you know when we when at lotus we were looking for buyers um towards the end and you know the renault came in for a specific purpose and that was to develop their brand and to come yeah. back into formula one so um if i remember with manor was the only potential rescuer jordan king's dad's family but they weren't quite willing to put enough into it is my memory failing me because jordan king was an f2 driver at the time so so jordan king's father 
and um, Stephen Fitzpatrick were the ones that sort of bought Manor out of um, from Russia from that from that right. Mess. Sorry, so I've got so his father. Yeah. His father is something to do with Sainsbury's. Um, had a had a very back seat, but as part of that deal, they'd signed they'd signed a contract to say that Jordan King would get a, a seat in Manor in twenty. When did they go? 16, 2017. Oh, as wow. long as he as long as he finished, I think the contract said something like as long as he finished fifth or above in um, F two. We had uh, we so, had him on here. The show, real real nice lad as well. Oh really? Yeah, very very fun. So yeah, so I, he I never met him, but um, but yeah, so I think I don't think he was there to to pick up the pieces afterward. I mean, Manor had lots of underlying issues. That was an issue for starters. There was a technically a contract there for someone to drive. Um, they still had the fallout from the accident that happened to Maria. Can never remember her surname. The the accident where she where she drove into the truck. Um, yeah, so they had they had a legal they had some legal backlash from that as well. So that it was a it was a it was a messy situation. I think Force India is a lot cleaner than that. Um, and as I say, I think it's you know if if you have a son and you want to put him in a race car, then Force India is a good it's a good way to go. Yes, they've always managed to to make the most of what they're doing. Um, it does come back ever so slightly to what I've said many, many times about the fact that they did, and I choose my words fairly carefully, but they did look in along with Williams with a Mercedes engine in 2014 um, because nobody really knew that that engine was going to be as good as it was. I think I've said on this podcast before, um, Lotus were offered the Mercedes engine and they opted to take Renault um, because they believed, well, they well Renault had won four championships on the bounce with Red Bull. There was no reason to believe that Mercedes were going to make such a, this, this was their belief. It was before my time. I hasten to add. You, they, you, uh, then, they, you then got Mercedes engines, didn't you? Yeah, I then, cance- I then cancelled that contract and went to Mercedes, yeah, for 2015. And you've been but best friends those, with Cyril ever since. Oh, yes. Those, but those two years of learning about the Mercedes engine and, you know, the, the car sort of being more of a, a new iteration on what was already there for 2014, 2015, every year that you spend with an engine and a, and a concept, um, we to change from Renault to Mercedes had to change all our cooling. You know, there's, there's all sorts of things that you have to change that make a big difference. And it takes time to get on top of that. So I honestly believe that Williams and Force India are both, as I say, looked into, let's, let's assume they were very shrewd in their business decisions or whatever, but they ended up with the best engine at the best time. And have ridden that wave, you know, which took Williams to third in the championship and and Force India to fourth, I think. So I'm curious. Uh, you have been on previous shows vociferously in favor of the independence of the midfield. Yeah. And one of the big concerns that has been thrown up is it's looking very much like uh, the manufacturers are all about having B and C teams. And the process that Force Indy has been through was essentially brought by Perez on behalf of Mercedes as a creditor. Does this not essentially now turn Force India into a a serious like Toro Rosso kind of junior team? And where does that leave Williams, who denied them money earlier in the year, who has been equally vociferous about their independence, but now we hear they're going to buy Mercedes gearbox next year. And if Lance leaves, I mean, financially, what is that going to do to that team? It, it seems like in a weird way, they might have done, had the exact opposite effect that they intended earlier on. As usual, there's many questions in there. Uh, so the first, Answer the first all of them, Carter. 
<laughs> so the first point I think you were bringing up was about Mercedes and Perez putting force into your into administration, therefore them becoming a de facto Mercedes B team. Well, that's not the case because, yes, Perez and Mercedes put them into administration. That doesn't mean that Papa Stroll has to then, once he's paid them, then they sit back and they're paid and that's it. So, yes, they could have, if they'd have pushed further, they could have maybe said, you know, we're only agreeing to this because we want you to be a B team. But I, I honestly don't think that's the case. I think that that um, that Lawrence has walked in there. He's paid the money. He now has to sit down and decide what he thinks is the best for Force India. Now, at the moment, that's clearly to stay with the Mercedes engine and to not necessarily become a B team because I I don't think they'll do that. Um, it'd be interesting to see if Ocon comes in there or whether he goes into Williams or, or what he does. But if you assume that it's going to be Perez and Stroll in there. Um, then they're not really a de facto B team. They're, you know, yes, they buy parts from Mercedes-Benz, but if Stroll is third and Lewis is trying to get past him at Monaco, is he going to pull over and let him buy? I, I don't think so. Um, and <laughs> in reality, if you go back to Monaco last year or this year, Ocon did do that. Ocon moved out of the way for, for Mercedes-Benz. And I think we talked about that on the podcast. You know, he was a Mercedes-Benz junior driver. So where does the difference lie? Um, you also have to remember that there's only so many battles that they're fighting. I know they talk about that a lot on commentary on Formula One. But if you're a midfield and Lewis has had a puncture or he's started at the back of the grid or even Ricciardo in the Red Bull. Come on if through, they're coming Lewis. Up, <laughs> if they're, exactly. If they're coming up behind you, are you really going to ruin your tyres, ruin your race? fighting and squabbling um or you're just going to sort of and as easy yeah. as you can let them pass and, and get on with your battle which is not against them um, uh, at the Miss apex karting i started at the back with bradley philpot and alex brundle behind me and i turned to alex brundle to gesture that i was very much going to let him pass, and he shouted something that sounded a lot like no i'm going to push you so i was like what what are you on about i'm going to push you so i'm going to push you all the way around and he did for the first three or four corners. He was up behind me. Every time I tried to break or lift off, he was shoving up behind me, using me as a battering ram to get through the pack. Interesting. That must be how they do it in WEC. Um, but I think, are we not underestimating a little bit the ambition of the strolls? It's, oh, there's a nice little Lance. He's getting paid to do his seat. Uh, he's a pay driver. He's taken a lot of flack. But are they quietly just going to use their money increasingly to just make Lance Stroll a Formula One world champion. I don't. I think for now it suits them to be uh, in bed with Mercedes and say, "Okay, we're using your engines. Thanks very much for that." But Lance Stroll's dad could go and buy Mercedes, couldn't he? No, he couldn't. He couldn't. He's, 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 he couldn't buy Mercedes, could he? He's rich. He's not that rich. Isn't he like um, a gajillion billionaire? Yeah. You're talking about buying Mercedes, the whole of Mercedes. I don't have a business brain, anyway, Matthew. Um, this no, is what he, you're he here for. He, he couldn't buy Mercedes-Benz. He, and I would say that he wouldn't be able to make Lance a world champion unless he somehow got them him into the best car and paid the guy who was sitting next to him not to go as fast as him. That's possibly the only way. But it's that would that would truly make a mockery of the sport if it happened because that would be a completely contrived and... Um, preconceived way of trying to get someone. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I think as you're a father, I'm a father, I think to, to do the best for your son, um, you will always do that. And if you're, if in our echelons of life, it means that we buy them some better football boots than other kids on the, the same team, then that's, that's so be it. Whereas with Lawrence Stroll, that means he buys him a seat in Formula <laughs> One. Um, and I think he's given him the best effort and he's going to give him the best shot. And, 
at some point they'll probably get bored and they'll probably decide that it wasn't the, they, they did it. He made his son an F1 star. And from my understanding, that's what he always wanted to do was to give his son the chance to be an F1 star. He's done that. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I no, he's never going to be a world. You can put me on record as saying he's never going to be a world champion. Well, I think um, if he does get the best car, say he's got the best car in three years' time, all they have to do is then nick Kimi Raikkonen from Ferrari. How is he? But how is he going to be in the best car? Because he's not. He's not a good enough driver. There's no top. So the top. So let's assume the top three teams stay the same. Um, Big assumption. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's 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 even though it pains me to say, let's throw Renault in there as well. So you've got Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, and Renault, and we assume they're the top teams. Um, Mercedes and Ferrari are not going to take a pay driver. Uh, Renault, I don't think, would take a pay driver. And Red Bull wouldn't take a pay driver. So he would have to get there on merit. And how's, I, I just can't see that he's going to do that. I genuinely can't see he's going to do that. Hello, I'd like to interrupt this podcast to talk to you about our sponsor this week, which is the video game of F1 2018. Have you ever wanted to overtake Lewis Hamilton in Formula One? Well, now you can in F1 2018. You don't like the halo? We can get rid of that for you. In the video game, you can remove the halo and live life as an F1 superstar. The official video game of Formula One puts you right in the cockpit of the fastest racing machines in the world, including every official Formula One vehicle in the 2018 season, from powerhouse teams like Ferrari and Mercedes. You already drive like a legend. But you can drive the cars of legends in 20 classic cars, including eight all-new classics like the 1972 Lotus 72D, the 1982 McLaren MP4-1B, and the 2009 Braun BGP-001. There's an all-new career mode that lets you live life as an F1 superstar, establish yourself as one of the most respected or the most notorious drivers on the circuit. Leverage your F1 expertise in contract negotiations with teams like McLaren and Mercedes. Engage the press in time-pressured interviews where every answer counts towards your reputation. Pick your rivals and overtake them in the official 2018 season. Use your F1 expertise in the R&D system and fully upgrade your car to your liking and get ahead of the competition. What's new in 2018 is it makes you feel like you're right in the action. Revamped visuals make this the most realistic-looking F1 game to date. Drive through dense fog, rain, and blazing heat. Hey, in the UK, you can do that all in one morning. Feel the raw energy of an F1 car with F1 2018's improved physics and feel that suspension go to work. Feel every bump and turn across 21 international circuits. Use that F1 know-how that you learn on Missed Apex Podcast to decide how to utilize your car's power using in-depth ERS management. Playing your cards right can lead to exciting head-to-head battles on track. F1 2018 is available from August 24th. Go to FormulaOneGame.com or visit your local retailer to pick up a copy and make headlines today. FYI, I will be on Xbox One. My gamer tag is Spanners Ready on there. And Chris Rainbow Sparkles Stevens will be on PlayStation 4. So make sure you come and race us online once it's released. Okay, back to the podcast. Before I get myself in any more trouble, let's go back. So the other bit of Matt's question, I think, was about Williams. And you said, where does it leave them financially? So what you have to remember is that Stroll has got a contract and contracts work in two ways. 
So if the rumours are that Stroll is going to be in the force injuring spa, then they're going to have to buy out his contract. So if they buy out his contract, that's going to give them a chunk of money. And it's not just going to be, we're going to give you back the money that you paid or, or whatever, or we're going to pay some extra. It's going to be, if it was a multi-year contract, then if Williams are savvy, then they'll say, no, your contract is to drive for us unless you buy out your contract. So I think it should give Williams a bit of money. Um, and then if Ocon is without a seat, in theory, they'll get, Mercedes may give them some sort of discount on engine payments or whatever. So um, they've got no title sponsor for next year, but they might not be in as bad a financial position as it seems on the outside. So Ocon's come up quite a lot, and it's something we neglected to go into depth about, isn't it, uh, Trumpets, uh, last last yeah. Sunday. But he's central to all of this, isn't he? And very much got Toto shoveling behind him, kicking him up the bum. Well, yeah, he's the one that Toto has put his... Uh, his belief in is, is sort of weight behind as from what I understand from, from seeing them and, and being in contact with a few people behind the doors, I, uh, behind the scenes, I think Ocon and George Russell, interestingly, are the two Mercedes, uh, big stars. They're the ones that they believe are going to ultimately, I think that's, they want those two in the Mercedes Benz car in the not too distant future. When, as when Lewis retires, um, I think that Ocon and George Russell are the two those that two. they really think are going to wow. be the stars. Oh, so you, I forget you get secret backdoor shenanigans where you sort of go into an office and you go. <laughs> Sounds terrible. It does. That makes it sound a lot more exciting than it is. But, you know, they bring you into the room and they look outside, realize people are looking and they just close the blinds. Then they pour some whiskey into a, a single ice cubed tumbler and you get to have these chats. It's incredible. So uh, are you getting the, the feeling that Russell is going to be looked after in the same way as yeah. Ocon? So they're actively looking think to so, push yeah. him into seats. So what, Russell yes. at Williams next season? Uh, I don't know. So that's so that goes back to what you were saying. So yes, Ocon is. So they've clearly they've signed um, Valtteri and Lewis to be in the main team. Um, my understanding is that they want Ocon into that second seat alongside Lewis ASAP. But a year or six months out of Formula One would be a disaster. So they've got to put him somewhere, and they're rapidly running out of seats. And a year out of F1, based against a year driving for Williams, is probably equally as bad. So it's, it's going to be tricky. I don't know. I mean, that then presupposes that Stroll puts Stroll in there straight, Papa Stroll puts Junior Stroll into Force India straight away, which I think will happen. Um, oh, wait, wait, wait. When you say straight away, do you mean 2019 or Spa? No, no. I, I heard rumours that it was going to be Spa. But I guess we'll find that out in the next few days. I don't know when this this goes out. I mean, it, we could be proved wrong very, very soon. But I, yes. I heard rumours that it was going to be Spa. Um because why would he? Why would he not? Yeah, why would that, he, that's what I said as well. Why uh, would you wait? But um, yeah, it's going to be difficult because Perez was the one that sort of goes from being the one that put them into administration as being to the one that saved them. Um, so he's the hero. So they can't take him out. So I don't. It's interesting. It, it's an interesting thing because for us, India benefit from the Mercedes connection through Ocon, I'm sure they get quite a nice deal on their engine. But Perez also brings a lot of money and sponsorship and results to the team as well. I mean, in terms of drivers, they're they're very well matched. I think they're amongst the better matched pairs yep. on the grid. So like who if if you had that choice, who would who would you keep and who would you who would you say goodbye to at Force India? If I was at Force India now Mm-hmm. Well, mon- well, money isn't an issue, is it? Yeah, money. So money's, yes, yeah. Perez, Perez brings money, but he brings. I mean, we had conversations with him when we were at Lotus. Um, 
Oh. From my understanding back then, he brings about $20, $25 million through his various Mexican sponsors. Um, but in theory, they don't need money now. So if if everything that has been said and I've heard is true, there's a huge upgrade going on the car for Spa that was sitting in the wings but hadn't been paid for that they've now paid for. Um, Hang on. So they don't necessarily need money. So That Stroll has paid for. So Stroll has paid yeah, for this so, upgrade to be unlocked. No, and tell so, me they're so, not getting in that car. So who stays and who goes if you were in charge? That's the question. Oh, I would, if I was in charge and Stroll was coming into the team, I'd probably run a mile. <laughs> but I would, <laughs> in the current circumstances, I would think it would be Ocon and Stroll would be the way. But then, hang on, let's throw another curveball in there. Okay. In the history of uh, Lance's career, they've never put a, I want to say good driver. They never, they never wanted to have a better driver in the seat next to him. So they always did that through his whole career. They always made sure oh, that they in the had, juniors as well. Yeah, for sure. They always had preferential preferential treatment. They had drivers that were paid to sit in second and slow the cars down behind and all sorts of stuff. What? There was all sorts of rumors going on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do we so need he's to... never had so he's never had a super competitive driver. So therefore, if you're allegedly uh, Lawrence Stroll, allegedly, if you're Lawrence Stroll and you put him in the car against Ocon, um, there's a chance he's going to be made to look a bit silly. So do you think they um, might hope that? They get a massa situation with Perez where you get a Ericsson. guy. <laughs> Put Ericsson in there with him. Um, <laughs> Ericsson and Stroll. But I think Perez is every bit as fast as Ocon at the moment, Matt, at the moment in their relative careers. You'll grant me that, won't I you, Matt? Did say they, I did say they were quite evenly matched, did I not? I have you on permanent mute. I just start talking when your mouth stops moving. Uh, but anyway, uh, what was I've lost that now, and it wasn't even that funny a joke to lose my train of thought over. Oh well, <laughs> never mind. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting, isn't it? Choosing between uh, sponsorship and talent. Uh, were you ever directly faced with that? I can't remember if you said before. Was was Grosjean a pure racing choice? Grosjean was semi pure racing. He was. So I think we. T- I think we talked before. We, we talked before about um, the issues with setting a car up with drivers that aren't as aren't necessarily as um, consistent. And so, so you you never really hear it. But there's a lot of work done on on Fridays and Saturday mornings, and it's all about consistency. And the best drivers, the good drivers, are the ones that can can constantly hit within a couple of tenths of a second every single lap in, lap in, lap in. And Roman was very good at that. So in terms of setting the car up. We used to have to do it on Roman's side of the garage, not on Pasta's side of the garage, because you didn't know if you put a new front wing on whether Pasta was the uh, one that had gained it at half a second or whether it was the wing. Um, because really? you may have just, you know, just driven slightly better in that. Whereas you need consistency. So Roman was very consistent and helped us set the car up well. Um, he did come with some sponsorship money. So Total um, uh, contributed towards him being in the car. And they were our oil supplier at the time that we were with Renault. So that made a big difference. Um, so he wasn't, I mean, there's not many drivers that are completely money free, if you like. Understood. Um, yeah. And, but the, but the biggest thing, and I, and I hate to bring his name up again, cause it seems to be a recurring theme on the podcast was Ocon. So we lost Ocon because we couldn't afford to keep him in. We couldn't afford to pay for a GP2 drive for him. And that was how he ended up at Mercedes. Cause he was a genie, a gravity junior driver, um, through his whole career. So it was the guys from gravity that found him and brought him through I promoted him to be our, I think he was our fourth driver or development driver, whatever you want to call it, in 2014, 2015. Um, and we really thought that he was going to be the, I mean, he beat Verstappen in F3 by, 
multiple. I mean, nearly. I think nearly yeah. 100 points or something crazy in the season. Um, was he? So, and, yeah. Sorry, was he better in the sim than Carmen? Just about or similar? S- similar, similar pace. <laughs> Interesting. Good to know. Uh, Brad in reverse. Yeah. <laughs> Right, no, shush, uh, shush me. Uh, Brad made an interesting comment that the Strolls really like uh, Robert Kibitza and that they might be tempted to bring him over to Force India with them. Uh, but I think a lot of people have got their hopes up that if Stroll leaves mid-season, he's, he is the official reserve driver and he might just just get three months in that seat. Uh, how, how do you see it? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I think, that, I think that's really probable because... Um, in theory, they're going to, they're, they're going to, I know I keep saying in theory a lot, but they're going to have to pay off Stroll's contract. So therefore they've got the, the seats paid for. Um, and Kibitza does bring some cash with him if they, if they really are cash strapped. So maybe they could, they could quickly knock up a deal where he pays, pays a certain amount or his sponsors pay a certain amount for the, for the, for the second half of the season. Um, I think it would be interesting, but Kubitza has said himself that he didn't, doesn't particularly want to drive the car, didn't he? Um, I think what they'll get from him is they'll get, they'll get some genuinely good setup work done and that might help Sorokin it will, will help the team for sure it might help Sorokin um I don't know I mean if Kubica really wants to be in Formula One then he can't say no can he no. he's not really got anywhere else to go so it's not as if he's going to say I'm going to hang on for Ferrari or Mercedes it's not going to happen so he's, he's got at least he really genuinely yeah. sorry he's got to at least come in and beat Sorokin if he does though isn't it that's that's yeah. a real nice bar kind of as a a gentle easing in back into F1 the problem, the problem is that it's there's so much politics going on that it's, that, I mean it's a, it's it's not a mess everywhere. That's not the right way to put it, but it is a it's it's a tricky thing to do because in theory, again I say in theory, That's but so funny. if Ocon if Ocon is is shy of a seat at Force India, let's say they put Stroll in and they want to put someone in there who's who is not as quick or is a bit of an old hand or whatever, so they keep Perez, um, then Ocon's out and about somewhere. So where's he going to go? So it, Toto's guy. So there was talk about him going to McLaren, which would be bizarre. I'd, I'd, I don't know how that would work. But um, Toto can pick up the phone and pretty much get him a seat anywhere he wants, I would have thought. But he would prefer for him to be with a Mercedes engine. So then that really only leaves Williams. Um, so then Ocon to go into Williams alongside Sorokin. Um, then Kubica's not not got a seat there. So it's it, And then you've got two seats as well. Sitting. Your internet is darlicking a little bit, but in the past when you've done this, uh, you've come back to us. So let's see if you've come back to us already. Can I ask an 18-part question in the meantime? (laughs) Go for it. I can hear you. I can hear you. I love it. I love how you make it so I can't possibly edit that out. Yes, please continue with your 19-part question. Um, I know you wanted to ask a little bit about the Williams mess, Trumpets, and, uh, and then also maybe move on to the Red Bull Honda deal. Well, actually, given the fact that he mentioned Max... And Red Bull. I figured that's where we were headed because we've been talking about William. Um, so, yeah, uh, what exactly is the deal with Ricciardo? Because I saw an article just today on Motorsport that said that this was a complete and total surprise. Not only was it a complete and total surprise to them, that they felt like they had agreed to everything he'd asked for. So why exactly would he fly that coup? It completely baffled me that one. It completely came out of left field and really, really foxed me. The only thing that I've heard recently that would make any semblance of sense to it is if Adrian Newey is indeed going towards Renault. And that's the only thing that I can, because even I don't think, unless Renault have completely changed their modus operandi, I don't think they're going to pay him a huge amount of money. I don't think that's going to happen because Renault don't do that. That's not. 
that's not in their wheelhouse at all. Okay. Um, they're not, they're certainly not up there with the likes of what Verstappen and Lewis and Vettel are being paid. Um, maybe, and, and again, I heard the same thing that Christian, I heard Christian Horner on some very low budget podcast. It's horrible F1 podcast. Terrible yeah, thing. Yeah. Tom Wilkins. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, um, Never he said that. that, um, it completely came out of the blue and that, that, and as Matt just said, that they'd given him everything that he'd asked for. So I don't think Renault would have matched him for money. Christian Horner said repeatedly on that aforementioned uh, media outlet that he thought that Ricciardo was worried about Verstappen, that Verstappen was the number one and that he was going to have to face up to him and he didn't want to do that and that he wanted to be, it didn't, I didn't, don't think he said exactly those words, but a big fish in a smaller pond um, over at Renault. Still didn't really make sense to me until I heard the rumour about Newey. And if Newey has got bored at Red Bull or he wants to take on a different challenge and somehow Renault have convinced him to go over um, over there, then that could make sense that Ricciardo could have thought, well, hang on a minute, you know, if he's going there, everywhere he goes, they turn into mm-hmm. a championship winning team and that could take them to the next level. Um, I think the technical side at Renault did need a bolster. They moved Bob Bell out recently. Um, I don't know if that went a bit under the radar, but I saw that somewhere that Bob Bell had moved out. So he was kind of their technical guru. He just moved aside or went to one day a week or went on a consulting gig or something like that. So there, there is a space there for someone to come in at the technical side. Um, that could be the answer. I don't know. If not, then I really don't know, unless he really does want to be a big fish in a small pond. and Because um, Renault have got a big step to make to get anywhere near the other two. Well, for the record, the Formula One podcast, Beyond the Grid is really good and the fact that they've managed to get these guys to sit down and the fact that they've embraced the podcast format actually properly so i'm i did do a tweet where i said a lot of these bigger companies they basically just cut up other broadcast material and they then put that out as a podcast and a lot of radio shows do that they put shows out as a podcast not really podcasting as such Uh, however what they've done matt is they've kind of gone down a kind of mark meron wtf uh, sort of Richard Herring, uh, Leicester Square Theatre kind of style, where they've sat them down one to one, and with that interviewing technique, Tom's really managed to bring the most out of them, haven't they, Mister Trumpets? Yeah. Now I was talking yeah. to old Trumpets there, at the old yeah, Trumpets yeah, yeah, place. Yeah. Sorry, I was typing to the chat room, but you, you're absolutely right, and it's it's annoyingly frustrating that they've actually gone and done a good job because otherwise we could be talking about how much better we were. Yeah. Yeah, but they are different. Well, to be being, fair. A, being as you are giving them praise, and I wasn't aware that was the way you were going to go, it is, eh. it is actually a good podcast. <laughs> I've listened to most of them. So the Villeneuve one was quite interesting yes, as well. Yes, very good. Um, well, they can't interview um, Hamilton and Villeneuve every week. You know, at some point, they're going to have to interview the McLaren chef, aren't they? So Yeah, but the fact that they did Christian Horner in his house, and yes. it was just after the Ricciardo thing had come out, and they could talk to him about hey, it was, it was, yeah, it's, it's good. Speaking of Ricciardo, I mean, as a, as a potential motive, you know, you talk about not wanting to have to fight with Max, but maybe, as we have oftentimes surmised in the past, maybe Red Bull tend to, consciously or not, favor one driver over the other. And perhaps he doesn't want to be in a position where Max is the, the favorite son and he's just getting whatever's left over. Uh, I have yeah, to no, add, I, I, sorry sorry to interrupt you there, before you answer that, we had Jake Sanson coming coming on, who's about as reliable as a, uh, you know, as a floppy bog roll, but he said to us that he had a source that said Signs was offered that Red Bull seat, 
and turned it down. So, I mean, in context, there's starting to be a theme kind of building here where people are really looking at the Verstappen dynasty and going, yeah, no thanks. I'd they, To rather be at McLaren and Renault than Red Bull Racing, that there's there's a big, that's a big deal. That's a big call, isn't it? Um, yes, but Red Bull traditionally do not pay big money. McLaren uh-huh. traditionally do pay big money. And I'm not saying that Carlos Sainz went for the money, but for sure he will have been offered a much, much better contract at <laughs> I, McLaren. Are you saying that you're not not Without, saying that? <laughs> I'm not not saying that. No, but for sure, for sure. I mean, McLaren, McLaren needed some sort of, or they need, you know, Alonso's gone. They need um, a, a number one driver. You know, they need a, a, an up-and-coming star. They need someone to put their weight behind. And Red Bull have never, even, I think even when Vettel was there, they didn't pay him, even when he was winning multiple world champion. I think he was, his basic salary wasn't that much, but he was, he was then on a, on a bonus of, of whatever. Um, and I think they've, they've broken the bank to keep Verstappen. So therefore the second driver's maybe not going to get as much. Um, I don't know. I mean, that, even that is a strange decision to me for science. If that is true, what Jake said, if, if it's true that he was offered the Red Bull, to turn down Red Bull to go to McLaren is a, is a fairly, ballsy move and, a, and again a bit of a strange one i would i would say yeah except for doesn't he have a bit of a history of verstappen at toro rosso yes i mean yeah it, it got i remember it got kind of ugly there yep no it did it did and, and what you say before about number one number two drivers even when they say they've not got number one number two drivers except i'm gonna say maybe mercedes and ferrari because i don't really know but even at red bull there's times because the sport moves so quickly from week to week and because updates come so quickly, there are many, many times on a Friday and a Saturday morning that you've only got one of the new front wing or you've only got one of the new floor or you've only got one of the new rear wing or whatever it may be. So you have to pick someone to put it on. Now, we tried. Well, we had pasta as well, which was a bit difficult. But we tried giving one and one and one and one, and then you swap them between the two. And I think that's what sometimes they try and do. But even that puts people's pe- puts people's heckles up. So if one weekend you've got a front wing that's going to give you a tenth of a second, and the next week you've got a new floor that's going to give you half a second, um, is it fair that one goes one way and one goes the other? And you know, even when they say you know we've we've no number one and number two drivers, there's usually someone that they favour. And I think the fact that they've given Verstappen such a big um, pay increase sort of suggests that he is the he's the guy that they're putting their weight behind. Um, so yeah, and, and I think so. Gasly's now in as the second. Uh, yeah, that's been announced now, hasn't it? In the last yeah. few days. So I think that's I think that's a good move. I mean, he's young. He's he's hopefully he'll push Verstappen. Yeah, well, he he might he he might he seems to be surprisingly consistent and fast in the Toro Rosso. So hopefully he will be. Uh, unlike certain other Red Bull juniors, up to the task of stepping into the senior team with only a minimum of Formula One experience. But you're talking about uh, drivers, and you're talking about why people would leave and why people would go. Uh, There's also a lot going on at McLaren. And I think the big move for them really is James Key coming in. But Is Is that confirmed now? Because they said they were going to get him, but Toro Rosso said he was on a contract and they weren't going to let him go, didn't they? Yeah, they said that, but um, but it's a question of what will it really cost McLaren to get him there. And, yeah. well, I don't know. You've got Alonso out the door, either permanently or not. He, he left open room for his return. You've got signs at McLaren, and now suddenly you've got uh, Lando Norris coming in. 
to do free practices. That leaves a certain Stoffel Van Dorn without a drive unless perhaps he's going to be the ultimate price for a key to move over to McLaren. For him to go to Toro Rosso? Yeah. Yeah? No? Maybe? Heard anything? Well, it's possible. No, I haven't. I haven't heard anything on like that. It's possible. I mean, the only thing I would say is that Red Bull and Toro Rosso, tradi- well, say traditionally for certainly the last six, seven years, have only put their junior drivers in the cup. They've never strayed outside of that. Um, or someone from their junior program. I know Brendan Hartley went out of the program and then came back into it, but they've always put the youth in. So even at Red Bull. So when people were talking about the fact that maybe Alonso would end up at Red Bull or maybe they would take one of the other guys to, to replace Ricciardo, the probability was they were always going to go with one of their juniors because that's what they've always done. I think um, probably Mark Webber was the last person that wasn't actually a, a junior Red Bull uh, coming through the Red Bull Academy. So... I mean, possibly, yeah, it could be if it's a deal, if it's a business play that, that sees James Key going the other way, then then it could well happen. Um, I've got a sneaky suspicion that Stoffel might find his, himself out of Formula One, unfortunately. I'm not sure if that's fair or not, but um, he's been up against Alonso and he's not really shine, shone at all, has he? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Uh, so the chat room is saying why on earth don't you have a missed apex mug do you want one we'll send you one but you have to bring it to all your shenanigan backdoor meetings so that you know so everyone go go hey carter what's that mug you're like ah oh, let me tell you all about this podcast at length <laughs> uh, also the chat room is saying uh, hannah says uh, we had pasta, which was a bit difficult, is comment of the week. No, the, the panellists can't do that. And European says you uh, you are the definition of democracy. Uh, Trumpets, I believe you wanted to move on to Honda a little bit. Um, 
yeah, I sort of I sort of skipped ahead, but I'm not even sure that Red Bull has a junior driver that has right. super license points at the moment. Uh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, yeah, you might be right, actually. I was just literally asking that of the um, chat room as we speak, so perhaps they will get back to us. You you are but, not the chat room host. You're like fully in this podcast, Matt. You're a legit member of the team. I'm 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 multitasking. Not very well. All right, continue. Uh, I'm I'm actually fairly wretched at that. I'll be honest. This is why I always put you on mute when I'm doing things before the show because you just distract me endlessly. It's too soon. All right, sorry. Um, well, did I want to ask anything about Honda? Well, no. I mean, really, it's this thing of. Uh, just looking at the team, you have Verstappen, you have Honda, which we know this is going to be the next couple of years. But are who is going to be willing, besides Gasly at this point, to come in and drive besides Verstappen? It seems like, and especially if the rumor about Nui is true, who's going to who's going to walk in the door and do that job? And and what is it? Is, is this ha- have you heard anything about Max being particularly difficult to work with? Because you know, no. there's a certain um, type of people who, you know. Yeah, I, I no, I've not, I mean, I don't know Max at all. I'll just put that out there. I, didn't, I don't know him at all. His father was very, very well known to all the guys at Lotus because Jos um, drove for was it back when it was Benetton or when it was Renault? Because all those guys have been at Endstone for so long, but they knew Jos and they knew Max used to come to races when he was five, six, seven years old or whatever and sit in the cars. Um, so they all knew him quite well. I don't know him. I, yes, I've heard that he is quite difficult to work for work with, but I think that's mainly because he's so fast. And he's so ruthless. Um, I know he and Ocon didn't particularly get on well during their F3 that year that Ocon won the F3 championship because Max is just ruthless. But I think I think that's part of being a, a proper racer. That's you know you'd say the same about Schumacher, about Senna, about Prost, about all those guys. You know I think there has to be an element of ruthlessness in there to to, to take you to the top. I'm really glad, Matthew, that we've been talking to you about like current. F1 politics and rumours and things like that because in the past we have spoken to you about your career as an F1 boss but honestly you're a fantastic pundit you still know all the right people I'm fully expecting Sky to come and steal you away from us so uh, whilst we have you uh, I do want to go back in time and ask you a little bit about the sort of action on race day because we've been looking at the weather forecast for yeah. spa francorchamps and it's gonna absolutely chuck it down by the look of it okay i didn't read the detail report i just saw pictures of raindrops um but you must have been the guy and if i'm tell me if i'm wrong were you ever the guy making the calls on the pit wall when the rain starts to come down and jensen button has decided to toss the coin the second a, a drop of rain hits his visor um the short answer is no I've, you know this comes i know you and i were talking back and it's been a long time since i've been on here so i think it was at the german grand prix where they all put different tires on that's right was and Toro the... Rosso with full wets yes. and someone on slicks and someone intermediate at the same time it was so amazing. just after that race i think we were talking um or messing messaging each other and i said that um so whilst i think all of the teams work in a similar way so there's um there's a race engineer for each driver, the ones that you hear talking on the radio. Then there's a then there's a, a senior race engineer. Then there's a strategist, and then there's so at um, at Lotus we then had Alan Permain, who was the sporting director. And then if I was on the pit wall, which I was at most races, an important decision like retiring a car. So let's say it's one of my first decisions. I think I talked about this once. One of my first decisions in my first race was Roman had a gearbox issue when he was running in twelfth. 
um, and they automatically default to the most senior person on the pit wall to say, we need to retire him because we want to save the gearbox. However, he's in 12th. If two cars crash, we could get some points. What do you think we should do? So that was a bit of a wake-up call for me. So whilst I never used to make... I mean, those decisions were kind of discussed yeah. amongst all of us, and we would make a decision. But that's um, it's like well, a we, classic war movie, though, isn't it? Where there's some like officer who's just rolled off the bat and of uh, yeah. got off the boat, and there's all these experienced sergeants going, "What should we do, sir?" And you're like, I, uh, I think, I think, I think it's referred to as passing the buck. <laughs> so uh, it was always, that. it's always the most senior person is. You can always, when you get back to the factory on the Monday morning, say, "Ah, yeah, well, he made that decision." Um, but what we were talking about when we were messaging after the German Grand Prix was, I said, and I remember those moments when the rain comes down or when someone when there's a crash and a safety car is deployed when literally everyone is shouting at the same time so that sounds chaotic because i used to have every line open so that i could hear Uh. everyone talking the driver can only hear his race engineer talking unless it's overridden by someone senior by you so that's where all so yeah so you see all the buttons there's there's like 12 buttons sitting in front of toto or sitting in front of christian and you can press each one so the senior, the senior management can override, but generally the driver is only spoken to by his race engineer. So you remember Alan Permain cut in to talk to Kimi Räikkönen, that was before my time, when they were doing the, when he told them to shut up and just let me get on with this, that classic, yeah. that classic time. That was Alan Permain cutting over the top to basically tell him what he was doing. Um, but what I was saying to you was when the rain comes down, you're sitting on the pit wall and it is absolute chaos. You have got everyone shouting, and everyone's saying, everyone's suddenly looking at the lap times that are being done by the car that's going on to slicks or the car that's on intermediates. There's suddenly the strategy is thrown completely out the window because, so you have a strategy meeting. So the strategists are really, I think, are underval- not undervalued, but they're underplayed out to the public. But they are so important to the team. So you sit down on a Sunday morning, we used to have a driver meeting, both drivers, all the engineers, the strategist was there. And he's been pr- crunching the numbers from Friday and Saturday. And he will say, this is our optimum tactic. What we want to do is we want to start on the hard, go on to the medium, where our pit window is between this lap and this lap. Ideally, we want to make sure that we're ahead of the four seniors at this point or we're behind, however it wants to work out. Soon as a rain or a safety car comes down, that's basically, you just tear that up and throw it out the window. And it's then a, it's then thinking on the feet, which is, I think at the start of the season, what people accused Mercedes of maybe losing out a little bit too. And then Ferrari had a, a bit of an yeah. issue. I think last year, Ferrari, many times, they, they were a little bit conservative on the way they do it. Red Bull always, in my opinion, seemed to get it right. They always seemed to, even if it's double stacking and you think that can't be the quickest way to do it, they always seem to manage to, to do it and do it right. Okay, so one of the things I was accusing Mercedes of was having a, a do-nothing policy. And I didn't mean that in an insulting way do nothing is always a valid engineering option so they seem to have a wait and see might be a better way to put it and they would i mean even to the point where they let lewis hamilton go past the pit lane in bahrain i think um that's what we'll i was go in the, into the pits and then back out again even yes so it's um <laughs> oh no that was that, that wasn't bahrain that, by the way. i don't think that one was bahrain um but yes of course they did do that where was that tell us chat room where was it they went into the pits Hockenheim. and then out again Hockenheim. Oh, yeah oh, no no Hockenheim was where he dodged in and out of the booted, was it yeah yeah, yeah it was yeah, yeah. so there was but there was an earlier race where they could have pitted and then that's when yeah. verstappen and ricardo came through the field and obviously verstappen binned it and, and ricardo won um, china china rings china. a bell certainly rings a bell uh <laughs> but mercedes had that wait and see that do nothing policy so at lotus did you sit down and go right if a safety car comes up make a quick decision and we'll just it might and let the chips fall where they may or did you say let's see what everyone else is doing or maybe something in you know, in between 
So I think I think the difference is when you're a front-running team or you're in the midfield, and that makes a huge difference. So I think at Mercedes, the uh, do-nothing attitude probably, A, it's going to work more often than not, and B, you've probably got the power and the, um, the driver capability to recover even if you do lose a few seconds. In the midfield, a few seconds can be the difference between points and no points, can be the difference between getting a miraculous fifth or a sixth place like Haas have done a few times or ending up completely out of the points. So there's a bit more at stake, if you like. Yeah, it's not a race win or whatever, but there's a bit more at stake in terms of that that midfield battle. So we didn't, we certainly didn't have anything laid down in law in, in stone beforehand. And that's why it's so chaotic. Uh-huh. It was very much on the on the hoof. It was very much, oh, you'll talk about it beforehand. You'll say, okay, yeah, if this happens and this happens, then we do this or we do this. We always try and pit the car in front first or give the decision to the car in front first so that they can make a decision if you're not going to double stack. Um, but yeah, you, you're always, I mean, even the best teams that have practiced the, the most amount of time, still the car pulls in and the tyres aren't ready. Or was it a few seasons ago when Williams put different tyres on the car and they had to retire the car? They put they yeah. put a hard on a medium on the same car. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's stuff like that happens because it's, it's human. It's, it's human nature. It's human brains that are working. And it's also, it's so just magnified into that moment of that, you know, it's like, right, okay, I'm sorry. It's like, right, the rain's coming down or the safety cars come out and, okay, what do we do? It's like, okay, where are you on the track? Um, and then you're talking to them, you're saying, oh, can, you, can you feel the rain? Is it, is it too slippy? Do you need intermediates? Do you need wets? One driver could say one thing, another driver could say a different, and then it's down to, okay, we need to make a decision. Then, as I say, you've got people back in Endstone mm. who are looking at the, track, at the times that the other cars are doing. So you've got feedback coming from back in Endstone into your ear as well, saying, okay, you know, the Toro Rosso has been the first one to go on to slicks and he's 20 seconds slower. <laughs> okay, so we don't do that. Or, you know, but it, you've got all that information going on at once, and then you have to make the call. And then the call's made and then you call the car in. And as we saw in Germany, which I think is what we were messaging about, it can be. And then if all the cars come in at once, you've then got that as well, because that's a disaster. Trying to trying to negotiate the cars in and out of the pits in and around you um, because you don't want an unsafe release and, and get 10 seconds on your time. So it just it, as, I, as I said at the time, it just it magnifies all those. And it's easy to sit back and watch the TV and go, what on earth were Toro Rosso doing, putting full wets on that car? That's just idiotic. There's no way they should have done it. But in that moment, if it had carried on raining, that could have been genius. And at Toro Rosso, you're not fighting for the win. So maybe you think, okay, let's roll the dice. If this huge thunderstorm suddenly comes and we're the first cars out there on full wet, we could end up going 10, 15 seconds a lap quicker than everyone else. And we could end up in podium even who knows god knows what could have happened and i think at some point you have to roll the dice they only did it on one car didn't they which again to me suggests that they were rolling the dice it wasn't as if they put both cars on full wets because they really believed that was the way to go so i think you know it's difficult but in the midfield it, it's 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 that and it's exciting and that's when the, that's what i was thinking of what i was saying to you on the messaging the adrenaline that goes at that time is is insane it's everyone's shouting everyone's running around you've got the guys in the garage are legitimately just shouting what tires what tires what tires what tires you've got the race engineers you know they're doing their box 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 no 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 no, don't box you know all that all that stuff and i think it was lewis's commentary as well that, that led me to message you as well because that's just i heard that so many times that whole no 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 yes yes yes, yes no 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 I'll tell you, if you saw the footage of Valtteri's pit stop, you'd understand why that radio call went the way it did. Because, oh my, what a mess they made out of that. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, again, you know, I'm not 
I know you can say it's a mess, but it's an understandable mess. They are, I know they practice this stuff like to the nth degree. I mean, we did thousands of practice pit stops back at Enstone, but you can't in that moment, you can't predict that it's going to be wet at this part of the track and dry at that part. And this person's come in and we're stuck behind this guy. So therefore maybe if we pit now, we're going to jump him. And Yeah. Well, the strategist would have assumed that the Bottas stop was going to go well wouldn't they, uh, at a certain point. Hmm. Uh, Matthew, did you ever get any sort of f- fight back from a decision like that where you had that split-second call to be made and the driver's like, nah, mate, nah, I'm not having it? Or, you know, or maybe mm. the race strategist? No, even. not really with us. Um, you, would, you, would, you would tend to bow to the race strategist because they are the ones that have, uh, that have really plugged all the numbers. And just give you an idea how important the race strategists are. We lost our... So when James Allison left, I had about six months with um, Iniaki, who was the race strategist at Lotus, who was really, really well known or really well regarded. Sorry, he went to Ferrari and he's now the Ferrari um, race strategist and has been ever since since 2015, 2014. And then our second, we then promoted um, his junior up to be race strategist and he left with Roman to go to Haas. So it gives you an idea of what the drivers think of a good strategist and and their sort of their value to a to an F1 team. Um, but no, no, no kickback really. I think um, F1 is not really, from from my experience, not really a blame culture. It's more of a how do we how do we improve next time um, because things happen in the moment. I know in front of the press maybe they are a little bit, but certainly not back in the factory. I think it's more of a how do we improve this and how do we make sure this doesn't happen again. Well, I was thinking specifically of Lewis Hamilton. Oh, but Spanners, you're so biased about Lewis Hamilton. You never say anything bad about him, right? He does follow the instruction to come in for tyres. But when Hamilton, have, when uh, Mercedes have got it wrong, I, I missed if he ignored uh, an order to come not into the pits. Not this year, but I, I believe a year or two ago in Hungary, he was decidedly like, you're nuts, I'm staying out. <laughs> yeah, but I, I couldn't remember that. I've slept since then. Uh, but certainly <laughs> this year with decisions, he's done it and then... When he's when they've come out and he's gone like, why are the guys behind me on faster tires? Clearly saying very publicly, no, you guys have messed up. But he still sort of did it. He still sort of went in yeah. and did the stop. Uh, right? Oh, yeah, because they they I mean they do publicly say that that you know they don't know everything else that's going on. And in the heat of the moment, it could appear that the guys behind on faster tires that was that was not the way to go. But I would say more often than not, the strategists get it right. And if you left it up to the driver all the time, it would just be a yes. shambles. It would, they, they'd have no idea what was going on. So, you know, you, you, have, to, you have to bow to the strategists because they're the ones with the knowledge. So that's your suggestion for making Formula One more interesting? Let the drivers call the strategy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, come on. Yeah. Do you remember when they said, oh, we can't have radio calls? That was yeah. a nightmare. Uh, what engine mode should I be that in? Was, that was very interesting back at Enstone. The things that they came up with to get around that. Oh, tell we had us. an idea. We had Do an idea. Know. We had an idea of having people dotted around the track um, <laughs> with boards, so in the crowd, so that they could lean over. So you would say, you know, if you get to turn seven, look over towards the where the grandstand is, and there'll be someone there with a board. And then there was all the obviously the the coded messages. So if we say oh. uh, your your water's running low or whatever, that would mean you know you need to turn in more and, and, and but confuse the drivers i mean geez i mean it was but yeah we had all sorts of stuff going on and then it was then there was the big discussions in the strategy group as to what was and what wasn't a safety issue because they said that you were allowed to you're allowed to discuss safety issues and that was it um but yeah it didn't last long did it until it 
until it was a farce. No, very, very hard. Can't to really drive the cars without the engineers telling you how exactly. to. Did you complicate? Well, there was that. Was it Lewis Hamilton in Baku when he was yeah. literally trying every setting on the on the steering wheel to fix it? And they were going, "We can't tell you. We can't tell you. We can't tell you." Yeah, it, they, 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 saying, we can't tell you. Turn it to number fifteen. Exactly. <laughs> Or they should have said, look into the grandstand. How many Mercedes mechanics do you see in full kit still up there? Uh, Yeah, very good. Very cool. Oh, wow. An hour has absolutely flown by, Matthew Carter. Oh, trumpets. Always, always stifling my schedule. I I do apologize. And this is just a one-part question. Get out. He may not even know, but it has come up in the chat room, and I'm dying to know. Have you heard anything about who might have approached Vern? From Formula One, no, is okay. the is the is the brief answer. Um, he's a or he was a Ferrari junior driver, wasn't he? Or a Ferrari third driver for a while. So he's his manager, um, Julian Jacoby, approached us because he tried to come to Lotus. Um, so he's an interesting guy. He was Ayrton Senna's manager, and he's managed a lot of people. I my guess what it would be. He's come out and said that it wasn't Red Bull, hasn't he? Yeah, I think so. And he wouldn't uh, way, would he? So I would say that if the Ferrari Junior thing is to be believed, it would be Haas or Sauber. It would be oh. my guess. Um, and I would probably angle towards Haas. Cool. Thank you. But he's a very good driver. He's a very, very good driver. And yes. um, I think he's been unlucky. Um, I think when he was at Toro Rosso, was it 2014 that him and – no, 2013, him and Ricciardo were at Toro okay. Rosso. And they were fairly – Fairly well matched, so. Now, the reason I wanted to hurry this on a little bit was because we have some questions from our Slack group and Twitter. People love you, Matthew Carter. They were very excited when we said you were coming on. At last, they hailed on the internet. So, some quick-fire questions for you. Uh, Ray Parker. Now, we have two Rays. I think this is little Ray. Who would you sign for McLaren? Did we answer that through the course of the show? No, but who would you personally attempt to sign for McLaren? You're now McLaren boss. Ocon. Ocon. Uh, second question. Will you miss Alonso? No. Dakota asks, what do you think about... Is, that, is that too quick fire? Do you want more? You no, want no, more? it's fine. So I, Alonso, I like it. Alonso, Certainly, if you've heard a thing, feel free to share quickly. Bye. Uh, Ocon, no, I haven't heard anything. Alonso, I think if he'd have announced this two or three years ago, then it would have been a much bigger deal. I just think that he's become a bit He's an incredible driver, don't get me wrong. I think he's one of the best drivers, but I just think he has got a bit whingy and a bit... There's no need. Some of the stuff that he says, there's no need to, no need to do. I mean, how to make friends and influence people. He has exactly. made it so that he could not have turned back and walked back over a bridge at any point in his career. Um, even no, even now, even he wants to go and win the Indy 500 and he can't... Well, they're saying it's going to be very difficult for him to go in a Honda-driven car because of everything that he said about Honda. So he's going to have to go to a Chevy-driven car and Honda's won it the last few years. So it's... Anyway. The other Ray, who I believe is Big Ray, is uh, being a little provocative here. If you listen to Miss Apex podcast uh, in a timely fashion, he says, do you value the triple crown over the chance to fight for titles in F1? I heard that. And no, I actually believe with you. I'm with you, Spanners. I think the triple crown is a, it's just a made up thing that he's decided he wants to do. It That's is my a made up thing. Yeah. Uh, Nick. And I think if, if he was in a front-running car, or even if he was in a car that there was a chance of being a front-running car, then he wouldn't leave Formula 1. Absolutely agree. And uh, Nick says, which Montreal bagel do you prefer? I have no idea what that means. Um, neither do I. 
don't really know. They, they're big on their bagels, a bit like New York. But I don't know what he means by different um, interpretations. Good question, Nick. Nice one. His last appearance on the show. Uh, Matthew Carter, what's next for you in F1? Are you going to attend any of the races? Uh, no plans to at the moment. I always go to the, the one here in Montreal. Um, oh, there was talk maybe about me going to Austin. Um, so I'm, I might do that. Um, but no, aside from that, no, not really. Oh, I'd love to go to Austin. I just, I know some people don't like the Tilkadromes, but there's something about that track. Maybe it's the Americanness of it. Maybe it's the scale of it, the huge hill into turn one. But if you stand, if you stand on the grid and you look up to that turn one, it's, it really doesn't convey it over the TV. It's, that's an incredible rise up to that, that first corner. And that's, that's not a natural hill, is it? They, they built that. They said, oh, we're yeah, going to have a so, massive yeah. hill on turn one. Yeah. Like, good on them. Okay, good. Matthew Carter, thank you so much for your time. As usual, I will give you the opportunity to plug things and you won't take it. No. In that thank case, you. in that case, guys, join us for the Spa race review at 8 p.m. on Sunday. Until then, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Diaries of an F1 Boss with Matthew Carter. I cannot believe for one second that you put you and me in the same financial bracket. My son's lucky if I even <laughs> tell him it's Christmas, let alone the same kind of gifts to the car house. Since we've got to the post show, which is the place I've now decided we officially do. Comment of the week. No, just kidding. I completely forgot. Who's our candidates, Matt? Oh, this is a really difficult one to decide. So I think we're going to have to let our boss make the pick. Uh, But we start with Ray Thompson way up at the top of the show with Richard. Has that effect on people drinking from wine bottles? (laughs) Hannah Hassel is in very strong. It would take a zombie apocalypse in the end of the world as we know it for Lance Stroll to become world champion. Han Sink, spa special, beer made from Vettel's tears. Ray Thompson chimes in, Britain, the land where beer is made from the tears of Williams and McLaren employees. Gosh. European is in. Heads or tails manager job at Toro Rosso available. European also in with El Pony de las Asturias, which could be a winner. And finally, Ray Thompson says, Montreal Bagel is the name of my Celine Dion cover band. (laughs) Do you have a favorite, Mr. Carter? I think the one about beer in the UK being made from Williams and McLaren's employees' tears is who, a good one. Who said that one? Congratulations, Ray Thompson. You have won. Comment of the week. Comment of the week. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.